It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Kane joins Bayern. Hello and welcome to episode two of this season's Real Football Cast. As always, I'm your host Dan Tracy and in the next 60 minutes we'll be dissecting all the hot topics in football. As per usual, we'll be discussing what's been going on in the Premier League over the past few days. While in addition to that, there are also some off activities that have caught our eye and they'll be getting our attention in the next hour. It's been another incredible week of football and this week it's two up top. That means Lee in the line and wearing a captain's armband is Carl. So Carl, how have you been since we last spoke? Yeah, good, thanks, Dan. Good to get the first weekend of Premier League fixtures out of the way. Um, not a bad round for all of us involved in this. So, yeah, looking forward to chatting it all, mate. Absolutely. We're also joined by Fulham fan Matthew. Matthew, how are things with you, my friend? I hope all is well after the first week of the season. It is. We uh, started off, off on the right foot. We managed to continue our uh, our uh, string of not having a of not having Goodison Park be our bogey ground with three wins in a row start the season on the right foot so yeah can't complain fantastic right before we dive into the premier league and all of that i best do the social media bits otherwise we'll be talking into the abyss once more first if you want to get in touch with me you can that's on twitter at dan tracy also the podcast has its own account which is at real football pod and if you want to become a shareholder all you need to do is follow and join our very elite members club Talking of clubs, I'm delighted to announce we're now part of the UK's first ever sports podcast network, that being Sports Social, to check out the URL and all the links posted throughout the week on the Real Football Pod account. You can find me via iTunes by searching for Real Football Cast. If you use that platform, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And if you like us, leave a review so we move up the league table. And the easiest way to find all the links is by going to linktree slash realfootballcast, but adopting the R and the E, you get 10 podcast platforms to choose from. It's never been easier to listen to this show. Right, it's time to go live. Where should we go first? Let's quickly get the elephant out of the room as far as Harry Kane is concerned. That move to Bayern, we know, is completed. Cole, a few days since the deal has been inked. How are you feeling? Yeah, I think it's, um, you know, we've kind of got over that initial shock of him going, haven't we? Um, you know, we're still to see 
how that will affect us over the course of the season. Um, you know, we'll obviously miss him and it now just depends whether we get to replace him or not. So I think like most Spurs fans, would you just wish him all the best, um, you know, a little bit? You know, I'm fortunate that his first game and the first opportunity to win a trophy, he kind of comes up really short with Bayern because, to be honest, if he's going to go, I now would like to go and see him win everything he can to kind of, you know, justify the talent that he is. So it was a little bit of a shame that first game. But, you know, he's made that move. He's kind of, you know, done what a lot of people accuse him of not doing and showing some ambition. So just have to hope for him it works out and hope for us we don't suffer too badly this season. Yeah, as a fellow Spurs fan, obviously it echoes Cole's statements. It's disappointing. Well, it's more disappointing. It's quite crushing, to be honest. But as I always say, no one player is bigger than the club. And now it's a, a case of where Tottenham and where they go, how they evolve from this. But back in terms of Kane and the potential move that we mentioned in last week's show... It kind of got to a point on Tuesday when it looked like Kane was staying. Like If you had to pick an option, that looked like the one. So I said at the time last week that Daniel Levy didn't need to worry about the spreadsheet, so to speak, the balance and all that kind of stuff. So was it ultimately too good a bid to turn down? I think it was. I think there was, you know, we know that Daniel Levy is probably money first over, like in terms of success, just in terms of the way he sort of run the club in the past couple of years. So it probably did come to a point of, you know, it's a point that we discussed. You know, Carl was very much in favour of let's just let the money run down, let him go for free. I don't care. Let's get everything we can out of it. But he probably looked at it and thought, I'd rather just get the money now rather than. And at least there, in some element, he can also control the narrative somewhat. Okay, he's going, he's going to buy Munich. He's not going to come buy us on the backside. Whereas on a free, he could have gone to Newcastle, for instance. He could have gone to Man United. He could have gone to. Uh, Chelsea has, has been linked a couple of times. Yeah, it was really, he could have come back and bite and bit Tottenham on the backside deliberately, whereas this way at least he could say, right, we're getting money and we can definitely say he's not going to come back and score a hat-trick on us, you know, in two or three weeks' time, uh, for instance. So just get him just get him out of the way as well, as well as the money. Now, Carl, in terms of the timing of the deal, do you reckon this is the thing that rankles the most, that if a move was going to take place, ideally it should have been done two, three weeks ago, earlier in the summer, a day before Premier League season starts in terms of Tottenham's campaign at Brentford is the worst possible timing, isn't it? Yeah, I think that was something that upset a lot of the fan base, wasn't it? Is that you kind of think, you know, the manager's gone through all of his pre-season. Now, I know, you know, Ange has come out and said that they were virtually planning for this from the off. But, but that's surprising to me because, you know, a few days before that, Kane starts as his main striker in a game at home against Shakhtar Donetsk, where you think, well, if you knew Kane was going, why don't you sort of pre-plan for this and give someone else the run out and the minutes that they might have needed valuably um, and you know then you are saying well yeah we know he's kind of gone so he's not yeah, you know, I'm not going to put him as one of my starting strikers when I've got someone who probably needs the minutes like we do in Richarlison but maybe that was obviously his goodbye game and that's why they did it but it didn't help, I don't think, being two days before the season starts. You kind of just think it, it did put a sort of little cloud over the club and dampen that mood of the first game of the season coming. Um, and yeah, maybe that is the sort of thing you could look back and say that what Daniel probably should have done was if he'd made his feelings clear to Bayern earlier in the transfer window and said, listen, unless you meet the 100 million valuation, he's not going nowhere. It could possibly have been done, say, a week or two before. And then, you know, you can kind of get it, get that 
sort of grief out the way before the season even starts. But, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about it in a bit. We got off to a reasonable start, so we just have to see how it pans out for the rest of the season. Yeah, we'll go to West London in a bit. But Matthew, one final point about Harry Kane, or I guess one final question. Where do you stand on the whole trophies versus goals debate? Obviously, if he stayed in the Premier League, the Premier League goal record would have most likely been his, his in the end. So, obviously... He said himself over the weekend he didn't want any regrets when he looks back on his career coming at a close. So, will a move to Bayern scratch that silverware itch? Do you reckon players should be aiming for silverware or is it not the be-all and end-all? I think it, it very much is a case-by-case basis. I remember this sort of being said um, when I listened to the game podcast um, from the Times a couple of years ago. It was the argument about Francesco Totti, like how, how long he stayed at Roma. It was like, yeah, he was successful at Roma, and I think he only ever won one league title with yeah, them. that's right. That, but that one league with his club that he supported and everything probably would have meant more than if he'd have gone to Juventus and won eight or nine. So I think that was probably what it would have been with Harry Kane. One league cup probably would have meant as much to him with Spurs as it would have been going to Man United and winning, not necessarily winning the treble, but winning, you know, winning two or three uh, uh, league titles there so again every player is different but I think that probably has come to a thing of with Harry Kane he's got uh, the the trophy for him would, would probably be the top scorer in the club's history that is probably seen as a trophy to him and say no regrets that is his club but now it is probably time to I still want I do still have that ambition to go and win you know the top honours you know challenge for the Champions League which by that one season he was never going to do with Spurs so he, I don't think, I don't think I'll have any regrets over it. I think he, he has, he probably realises he got everything out of Tottenham that he could. Well, yeah. Best of luck, Harry. Football goes on. We move on. So let's move on to on pitch matters, and we may as well go back to Monday, as that is fresh in the memory. Manchester United got the better of Wolves. That is not the story because Cole, we're already talking about referees. So I think we can all come to the conclusion that Onana was a very, very lucky boy on his debut. Yeah, I think, you know, it's one thing we always said last season, wasn't it? That you have these decisions that you just think, how does someone get another opportunity to look at an incident like that and still not come to the conclusion that Wolves should have had a penalty? You know, the goalkeeper gets nowhere near the ball, clatters through a forward, um, and you're left scratching your head thinking, well, you know, not only has the referee not seen that and given it, but you've also got a couple of officials who get a chance to see three or four replays and still go, yeah, now we think that's all right. Um, It's baffling. Um, I know these guys have now been rested from this weekend's fixtures, haven't they? Um, Whether that's the right decision or not, who knows? But it's probably denied Wolves what should have been a well-earned point, to be honest, from that game. Now, Matthew, obviously, if you looked at that Onana clattering, say, I don't know, six, seven years ago, pre-VAR, you could maybe offer mitigating circumstances as to why the penalty wasn't given. It would still be frustrating, but you could say, OK, well, it's the referee and the officials on the day, and they've come to that conclusion wrongly. However, you've now got multiple people in Stockley Park also looking at the footage. In this instance, he's not even gone to Stockley Park, so... Why is there such a disconnect here? How has this happened? I don't know. I think it just comes down to what we've been saying, you know, over and over again. It's just the incon- it's the inconsistency with how things with how things are are judged. You know, and I was I was reading uh, Dale Johnson doing a sort of thread on this, and he was sort of saying a lot of it came down to the on field, you know, the on field decision of no penalty, which you know. Um, you no, know, a referee might, you know, he may have just missed it because he didn't have a clear view. I, 
uh, didn't I didn't watch the full game because of time difference. Everything I've only seen the highlights, so I don't know the full thing. But if he just didn't see it, he says no penalty. Then it comes down to is there enough there to overturn? Which in some referees' minds, it just might it just might not have. So I think there does need to be more consistency and more clear guidance on things like this, just so we don't have these moments of you know these moments of controversies, which in the end you know. You know, I you know possibly could have cost Wolves a point. We don't know about whether or not they had scored the penalty, but could very well prove crucial, especially as many people think they're going to be in a relegation battle. It could prove crucial for them to come the end of the season. Absolutely, you know, an added point here or there could be the difference. But in terms of the difference on Monday, Carl Gary O'Neill had plenty to say after the game, and he mentioned that the new referees boss John Moss was just as surprised to see a penalty not being awarded. So. Again, these comments are fine. You think, okay, well, at least someone's putting hands up and saying, oh, you know, there is an error. But as Matthew says, you'd much rather the points than this kind of throwaway apology afterwards. It's just lip service again, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, the apology doesn't really mean anything to Wolves, does it? It doesn't do them no good. They, they've lost the game, um, as, as we've said, what could be a vital point to them come the end of the season. And also, you know, a, a morale-boosting point, because, you know, to go to Old Trafford on the first day of the season, in a season in which many people are tipping you to go down, and ultimately outplay Man United on the day, but not walk away with something could be, you know, demoralising for, for a team. So there's there's so many little factors that play into a decision like this that that's where I think it gets even more frustrating that given the technology that we've got, we can't get a simple decision like that right and, and the penalty was awarded. Well, Matthew, it does seem as if Harold Webb has tried to address this matter as soon as possible and the officials involved in this incident have been stood down for this weekend. So I know Carl's always been keen to see officials become more accountable. With that in mind, is this the best that Webb can do under the circumstances? Under the circumstances, yes. And there's only so much you can do after the after the you know after the fact. I saw someone compare it on, you know, and with the apology the John um that the PGMOL sort of gave out is a, it's a bit like being given a paracetamol after you've been decapitated. It's not really gonna do a lot right now. But obviously this is a level of accountability we, which you know we've mentioned before. At least it is, you know maybe this is the, their way of actually saying right because there's been a lot of talk over summer about you know changes to the refereeing systems and everything. So maybe this is now just the first instance that we're gonna see of if you mess up, you will not be I mean I don't know if they. I don't. I don't know the full reading if they're just being taken away from Premier League games and being bumped down to Championship, or if they're being suspended for a week. That means no pay, all that sort of stuff. So at least now there is a level of accountability to say if you mess up, you will be. You will be. You know, consequently punished for this. So don't do it again. Yeah, that's true. But I guess Carl, at the same time, it's not a good optic for the referees and the PGMOL in week one. You know, this conversation was always going to take place at some point because you're always going to get this level of controversy however you don't want it in the first episode of Monday Night Football do you? Yeah, I think, you know, it would have been the worst thing that, you know, VAR and the officials would have wanted, wouldn't it? You know, a big decision like that and a big glaring, glaring error. You know, at least if you get a few weeks into the season, people might think your new directives and your new method of working are having some effect. So having this happen in game week one is a bit of a nightmare. 
but I uh, guess the good thing is for us is that if you do at least get these out of the way, then we might be learning from it quicker than we would have if it happens three, four weeks into the season. Um, and, and yeah, and we can hopefully move on and we won't see that kind of glaring error in uh, game week two onwards. Yeah, I guess that's a fair way to look at it, actually. If you take the, the pinch points out early, we shouldn't be seeing this halfway through the season and thinking, you know, what have we learned? So maybe it is short-term pain for long-term gain. But, Matthew, in terms of Manchester United, they weren't great on Monday night. There's no doubt about that. Harry Maguire is not considered great by Eric Ten Hag, and he was meant to be going to West Ham. But the move is, well, how do you describe it? It's probably best stalled, worst collapsed. West Ham will hope it's stalled, but they are losing interest because it seems that Maguire is dragging his heels. I think the reason is due to he wants some form of payout from United due to him taking a lesser wage at West Ham. To me, that sort of says the player is more prepared to sit on the bench and just kick, well, not even sit on the bench, just kick his heels at Old Trafford rather than playing. How do you sum this move up or lack thereof? I think you've probably summed it up there. Like if if Harry Maguire just wants to sit on it, you know, if he if he feels he is owed a certain amount of money from Manchester United, you know, he's you no, know, his contract was agreed at X amount a week, and West Ham are going to offer X amount. He's taking a pay cut, and you know, as much as many people might not like Harry Maguire and think he's not that well that great, I'm still very much in the Harry Maguire fan club. Personally, I still like him. But if he think you now, if he's been given this amount of money, he's he's entitled to it. It's not his fault. The Man United, you know, in some people's eyes, would have overvalued him by X amount of pounds a week. So so he's entitled to it. So if he thinks that this is the way that he's going to get his money back, then you know, so be it. If it you know, and if he just has to you know sit on the bench. For a year, yeah, his career might take a bit of a bit of a downward about uh, a bit of a downward turn rather, but eventually someone will take a chance on him, and he'll be able to and he'll be able to start playing football again. So if this is the way that has to be, then you know, so be it. Cole, in terms of player power, has Maguire got every right to do what he's doing? Because as Matthew rightly says, you know, your contract and your worth it, it is what it is for the length of that contract. The club can't sort of say into I don't know year three, year four. Actually, we want to pay you. 50% less or we want to bump you off and try and do that because we don't really fancy you anymore so is Maguire right in what he's doing or should he have the ambition to go actually do you know what it's not about the money I'll go and play football Hey it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels so whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City go Kevin or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, I think ultimately he, he has the right to do what he's going to do if he doesn't want the move, does he? You know, because he either doesn't want to, you know, move to London or something like that, you know, uproot his family and move them all of a sudden. So he definitely has the right to. And, you know, if you've got a contract, you're within your right to see that out. I would just think, though, that given it's clear he doesn't have a future at Man United anymore, and let's face it, there are not a lot of teams knocking at the door to want to try and snap him up and, and, and get him, I I would personally have the ambition to say, well, do you know what, I'm going to go somewhere because I want to go and play football. Um, let's face it, whatever wage West Ham are going to give him, he's not going to be a poor man still, is he? So you'd like to think that money isn't going to be the ultimate object. 
for him and, and you're still going to be earning a glamorous wage that keeps the lifestyle you've got well intact. So I would like to see him have the ambition to say, yeah, I'm going to take the move. I'm going to go and play and I'm going to go and prove a lot of people wrong because I, like Matthew, think that there probably still is a decent centre-half in there. He probably just needs to get away from the fishbowl that's Old Trafford and just restart and, and kick on from there. Yeah, I think it would be a great hand for any sort of Premier League club that's willing to take him on. I'd quite like him at Tottenham, considering our defensive woes, but some sort of say about his pace and where he can play in a, a back three and back four, what have you. So it, it's not going to happen, but I wouldn't be too um, agreed if Maguire was wearing Spurs colours by the end of the month. In terms of Manchester United's ins, we didn't speak about them last week, Matthew, so let's have a quick note about Mason Mount. What do you make of that move? He didn't really excel last night. I mean, obviously, first game, so can't write him off by any stretch, but is that a good move for the player? Uh, a good move for the player in the fact that he's you know there's there's a bit of a step up. He goes right into back into you know back into the Champions League, whereas Chelsea are out of Europe, and there may be more marketing opportunities for him in terms of you know the Manchester United global global appeal as opposed to Chelsea. In terms of a footballing move, though, I just I just don't see. It. I think that seemed like more of a oh we we need to get from a Manchester United's perspective rather we need a big you know big name English signing Mount as a regular in the England team and everything uh, we need you know someone to take over the number seven he just it's all fell in the right fell in the right place for but in terms of the move I just don't see how that is the move I don't if Man United are going to be challenging for the league title say or challenging for honours I don't see Mason Mount as the you know as the fire starter that suddenly suddenly turns them around in the way that, you know, when Cristiano Ronaldo came back from the World Cup in 2006, that that sort of thing, or Edwin van der Sar in goal, or all that sort of, those big names, I don't see Mason Mount in that sort of thing. He's a good player, he's a very good player, but I don't think he's the sort of person that Man United should, for that amount of money, is going to be the man to turn Man United around, as it were. Yeah, I don't quite see it myself. You kind of look at Manchester United and think, was that what they really needed over the summer? No, especially early on. They may have addressed it now with the likes of Hoyland joining from Atalanta and all that kind of stuff. But you just kind of think, at that time, did they really need Mason Mount? So we'll have to wait and see on that front. But let's look at the club that he left, Chelsea. They played host to Liverpool on Sunday. Carl, considering neither team had much in the way of centre midfielders, it's quite an erratic, frantic game at times, really entertaining. Would you say a draw was the fair result at Stamford Bridge? Yeah, I probably would. I think you'd just say, like, on the look of the game, then I think overall both teams can feel that they probably did deserve a point out of it. You know, both having, obviously, the goals disallowed for offside, which were tight, um, and probably the Chilwell won the tighter of the two. Um, neither team really set the world alight, did they? Both had their little spells at times where they looked really good and then others where they looked a little bit poor and, and stale. Um, so, yeah, I think Chelsea need those reinforcements, especially in midfield. Um, but I think, you know, big game, probably both will satisfy and, and take a point, you know, given that they're playing two of the big sides. So I, I think ultimately it's not the worst result in the world and both will take it. Yeah, certainly. I think if you look at the fixed computer, that's your week one objective, a point, especially for a Liverpool on the road, not bad at all. But Matthew, let's focus on Mo Salah, because as Carl said, he did have a goal in the net, ruled offside. 15 minutes to the end, he was subbed off. Now, visible frustration, do you reckon that's more due to the situation or is he targeting someone in particular, i.e. Klopp or the player coming on? You know, you could see him fill in with his wrist tape and all that kind of stuff. So how much are you reading into this tete-a-tete in week one? 
Um, I think that it's something to. I don't know if it's like a a problem of grand of grand things. Oh, he's because you know, he has been linked away in the past, and this is a way of saying, oh, I'm being held back. I want to transfer. I'm still being made. I think I was more frustration of the fact that he was just being taken off and I saw I can't remember which commentator said it but the majority of goals are scored in the last sort of 15 minutes and when you when you have a player with the pace of Mo Salah who can get you on the counter-attack or something if there was going to be another goal in that game it probably was going to come from Mo Salah so he was probably thinking you know we, we you know we're trying to win here we want to start off the season we're on a you know on a good on a good note so why am I why am I being taken off so I think it was more frustration at the at the decision rather than sort of anything internal or you know big spat with the Open Club or anything like that. I read something into it, but don't read a full deal. Oh, this is the end, this is the end of the Mo Salah era and Liverpool sort of thing. Yeah, well, watch this space. If this is a trend where Salah's getting shipped off 10, 15 to go and the game's level and he's you know throwing his arms up, you think actually maybe all is not well. But I think as you say, Matthew, he's looking at thinking I could get you that winner. Why am I coming off? So. We'll see, but not not too frantic yet at Liverpool. But, Carl, I mentioned central midfielders. Chelsea have certainly rectified their issue, what, a day later, by buying Moises Caicedo for £115 million, a new British transfer record. But how much of that fee is steeped in panic? Well, I don't necessarily think panic, because I think they've obviously wanted him all summer long, haven't they? Um, and obviously there would have been that little bit of fear that when Liverpool came in, as a, oh, well, hang on a minute, you know, we're definitely sure we've got this guy. They've obviously seen him and targeted him as a player they want, um, and it's cost them a lot of money. Now, you know, given the guys only had one season with Brighton, that that's a big outlay to see someone who could have just had a one-off good season. But they must feel there's a talent there. Obviously, Potter's probably signed off on it as well. And, you know, he's not a bad judge of player. So I think they've got their man. I think, yes, they've massively overpaid, I think. And obviously, when you make a signing like that, you've always got a fear that if it's a flop, it's going to come back and bite you. But who knows? If he has a season he had with Brighton, then Chelsea have got themselves a very good player. On the flip side, Matthew, could you argue that it was Liverpool who panicked with their £111 million bid? That kind of started off this largesse that we saw days later in terms of the deal getting completed. Are you surprised at all that the midfielder shunned the move to Anfield? Um, yeah, I don't know if maybe he just you know he prefers Potter's style or maybe he just you know didn't fancy moving quite as far or without a whole number of reasons. Yeah, I'm surprised that Liverpool weren't able to weren't able to close the deal, especially given you know, the the rebuild that they're going through. Kaiser, you know, it seems like someone that they would seems like a, a crucial player to doing so. So I think Liverpool probably did panic, did uh, sorry, did panic a little bit. So they're going to have to turn their eyes to someone else, and whether or not that person is as good as Kaiser, we'll probably just have to wait and see. Now, Cole, let's look at the bigger picture at Stamford Bridge. Todd Bowley has now spent over $1 billion in no time at all. So do you reckon he's looking at this and thinking, I don't think Chelsea are going to beat FFP, so why bother? Let's just go big, and if we get caught, do you know what? The punishment won't even fit the crime. So are they just going to go for broke here? Well, I guess it's interesting because I think Simon Jordan did a bit on TalkSport, didn't he, yesterday, where he kind of broke down how he feels Chelsea are actually still within their FFP or or getting away with this from FFP. And a, a lot of it is based on players' depreciation over the terms of their contracts. And he's obviously of the opinion that the reason they've given them those eight-year contracts is so that the depreciation value means that when it comes to FFP, there's still value 
in the bank for them. And he kind of pointed to the fact that, you know, they've just got rid of Havertz for a good chunk of money. They got rid of Mason Mount for a massive chunk of money. So I think, I suppose, when you look at the way Chelsea operate, it's those sales of those young players that are possibly just keeping them kind of in and around that right area for FFP to be able to either scrape through um, and make it and make it work. If not, it may be that Todd's fault. Well, listen, I've just brought a big manager in. We had a disastrous season last season and one that we can't afford to have again. So I need to do something to make sure that doesn't happen and we get the club back in the Champions League and back in amongst the honours. So I guess we're yet to see and we will see in the future how this one's panning out. It's either going to be a real disaster for Chelsea where they start looking like Man City in a few years' time with the charges building up or he's a very smart man and he's making it all work. Well, let's take that second point, Matthew, because when Todd Bowley came in, there's always that kind of lazy, oh, another American owner, what do they know about football, etc., etc. I don't think his case was helped by the All-Star game suggestion. Some liked it, some didn't, but again, it went it lent into that kind of American Cohen over here telling us what to do. With that said, you can't really say that Todd Bowley is stupid. When it comes to finances, he's more than ready to game the system and find any loophole where he can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we touched, you know, as you said earlier. There's, there is a, there's, as Carl said earlier, right? There's probably an element of, all right, let's just go for break. If we get caught, if we get caught, we get caught. Um, and he's obviously smart enough to. I don't think, I don't think he will quite just go all out like Abramovich did, in in you know, in his first thing. But he knows that he needs to be successful right off the bat. And given where Chelsea were. Um, or where they finished last season, that is going to take that is going to take a lot of money and is probably going to take a lot of you know a lot of signings to make that happen. So if he has to spend big, then yeah, then by all means let's just do it. Okay, then let's stay in West London and a quick word about Spurs in the post Harry Kane vacuum. Carl, the biggest point of contention will be Brentford's penalty equaliser. Is that one where if it's your team, you're happy and you're paying for that decision. If it's against you, you're thinking, how's that a penalty? What do you make of that one? Yeah, I think you're 100% correct, Dan. You know, it, it's one of those, it is a soft penalty, but, you know, if it's against you and it's or it's for your team, you're screaming at the telly asking for a penalty, saying that, that there was contact, you know, minimal, but there was contact. So, yes, I think, you know, when you look back at football from a previous era, you'd say that wouldn't even be looked at. But in this modern era, if there's contact, then I think the refs are more likely to give a penalty than not. So it was harsh. It was soft. But I'd have been screaming for it if it had been Son being fouled at the other end um, for the penalty. So I ultimately think they got the right decision. Yeah, me too. And I think what we saw on Monday at Old Trafford is very much taking away the heat from that decision. Because it was brewing a bit on Sunday afternoon, but this has been almost forgotten, really. So I think... As you sort of say, we come to the same conclusion that if it's your team, you're going under the rules, under the laws, it is a penalty. Against you, you're thinking, oh, for God's sake. Like, but it is still a penalty. So I think it's fair. I think a draw was probably the fair result for Ange. But of course, Matthew, Christian Romero opened the scoring with an early header for Tottenham. He took a whack beforehand, needed medical attention after the goal, and then all but refused to be subbed off. He did come off at the end, but it was a bit of gesticulation. So in this occasion, or in this instance, do you players need to be more sensible when it comes to head injuries? I think I think they do, and I think with the you know, growing knowledge that we have about concussions, there probably will be more. I'm still waiting to see. I know it was trialed during the end of the or uh, during the 1920 season, uh, when during lockdown and empty stages they had the concussion subs. 
did they just sort of go away or have they just not been used recently? I, I don't know what it is, but I remember them being, I think maybe an incident like this is probably going to be one of those ones. I mean, we've had other ones, but again, something like this, now that we're going through a changing time, whether this is the time to bring back those concussion subs, especially for... Especially I think for, they're still there, aren't they? Because I know they said on Sunday that Spurs didn't use the concussion yes. substitute. So I think it's still so they, in so place. They, that's the, obviously we got different commentary feeds, so I so I uh, obviously didn't pick up on that. So they are still a thing. Just clubs and players just are refusing. Maybe that needs to be maybe that needs to be a thing going forward where you know Premier League just sort of enforce it more. I say enforce it more or urge clubs to use them more rather than you know, leaving it in the players in the players uh, in the players' own hands rather. Yeah. So let's build on that then, Matthew, because I think the reason Tottenham didn't want to use a concussion sub is that if that was the case. Romero would then have to be stood down for seven days and he would then miss the home game against Manchester United. So that's the position that Tottenham would have found himself on Sunday. So after much gesticulation from Romero, he's like, I don't want to come off. I don't want to come off. They took him off as just a normal sub. So they've kind of circumnavigated that. But let's go to Friday and keep an eye on Turf Moor. As Manchester City got the better of Burnley. Cole, I guess it was always going to be the perfect opposition for the defending champions, especially after missing out on the Community Shield the week before. Yeah, as you say, you probably couldn't, you know, if you if you could handpick a team to face, then I suppose one of those teams that were coming up probably would be one of your favourites that teams like that would pick. So I think it was a good game for Man City. I mean, it wasn't, you know, a walk in the park because I felt, you know, in the first half, Burnley, Burnley gave as good as they got. But I think once Haaland stuck that ball in the net after three minutes, I think you kind of knew where the game was going from that moment on. Um, but, you know, you have to give Burnley credit because they, they could have gone and collapsed. And if it was like four or five or six come the end of the game, then that's not the sort of start you want, especially at home. So, you know, they, they kind of, they, you know, they tried to give Man City a few jabs and, and put them on the floor. But they can walk away from that saying it was a free hit. You know, their season won't ride on playing the likes of Man City. So they've got that one out of the way and they'll probably start their season properly next week. Yes, so Matthew, Erling Haaland, he opened the scoring and was also in the spotlight at half-time. So what did you make of the conversation, or more kind of a shouting match at him, between him and Pep Guardiola? Because surely, when you look at it, that's one for the dressing room. And then after it happens, Pep has the temerity to sort of push the cameraman away to say, what are you doing? Why are you filming this? So you can't have it both ways, can you? Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. No, and I think this is one of the things that that irks me about Pep Guardiola. There are a bunch of managers about that, that do this, but Pep Guardiola is is a. Fa- You're talking to Erling Haaland. He's just scored two goals. He's just come off the back of a season where he helped. He, I would argue, single handedly helped you win the treble, broke the broke Premier League records, all this sort of nonsense. But yet you're still telling him, you're still shouting at him at half time against Burnley that he needs to that he needs to do things better. I just don't get it with. I get there's the there's the desire to be you know to be the best and all this sort of stuff. But there, as you say, there are situations. Save that for the save that for the dressing room. Um, if you want if you want to have a word if you want to have a word with him, and you know that you know. 
Pep Guardiola has been in the game a, a long enough time to know that if a player scores two goals in the first half, he's going to be focused, the cameras are going to be focused on him coming off the pitch. And, you know, arguably the best manager the world has ever seen in some people's eyes, Pep Guardiola, the cameras are going to be on him. So you know that this is going to be coming. So if you want to keep the cameras out of it, then just walk off silently and do it in the dressing room. It is one of the things that irks Pep Guardiola with me about Pep Guardiola is he wants to be in the spotlight all the time with his and show how much he he wants to win and all that sort of stuff when a lot of it can be kept behind closed doors. Now, Carl, when you look at the title contenders, let's assume it's going to be City and Arsenal going head-to-head again. Is the title race as clear-cut as, say, an injury to Haaland means Arsenal win the title? Or if that does happen to City, have they got enough talent to absorb the absence of the Norwegian? This is an interesting one this season, isn't it? Because when you actually look at City's squad, you know, with the sales of Gundogan and Mares, you kind of feel their attacking threat as they've kind of diminished themselves slightly on their attacking threat. And as you say, if they get a big injury to someone like Haaland, where he has to miss, you know, say three months of the season, then they don't really have that sort of player that you feel can come and step in and take that mantle on and score the goals that he would to push them to a title. So, I do think their squad is probably thinner from an attacking sense as it's ever been. But you still got to back them and think, well, if Haaland stays fit and they can keep, you know, De Bruyne fit and the other players, Grealish, the likes of that, they've got some good young talent. So I think you still make them favourites. But I think this season will be close again. Well, Matthew, one way to address this potential issue is the signing of Lucas Pakatar from West Ham. It's not a transfer you kind of pick up and go, well, actually, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, or you can see that happening. Where do you think it is going to happen from? And why have Man City gone in this direction? I don't know. I think just strength and depth, the way that, you know, people have said, you know, why did they, you know, why did they need Calvin Phillips, for instance, when he only played like five, five games in the Premier League, 10 games in total, or something like that last season. It's just there because to an extent they can, and they know that if they're going to, you know, for those for those Champions League games where they have, you know, they've won the first four games, they've got 12 points, the other teams are on five, so they can't be caught. So games five and six in the Champions League, put Scott Carson out, put Calvin Phillips out, put Paqueta out, give Haaland, you know, give Haaland a rest. And therefore, we're still confident that we can get wins in this competition rather than just, you know, throw the games and forfeit them. It's just, there's an element of they do it because they can, but there isn't, but who's really going to, who's really going to stop us? Well, Arsenal might stop them. They won at the weekend themselves. Not a clean sheet, but a rather routine win over Nottingham Forest. Bukayo Saka may have not got the opener, but Carl, it's safe to say he certainly got the goal of the game at the Emirates. Yeah, yeah. Not one of his better games, Dan. But then Arsenal wasn't, you know, weren't fully at the races, I think, the way we'll see them in a couple of weeks' time. But again, another goal that just kind of shows you the class that Saka's got, doesn't he? And, and how dangerous he'll be and how vital he'll be to them over the course of the season. Great finish. And he's scoring more and more goals like that right now. So he certainly is a hot player and one that you kind of think if he can keep progressing, then he's certainly got some future ahead of him. Now, Matthew, obviously, Arsenal have been busy in the transfer window none more so than the last few days. David Raya has gone to the Gunners. You kind of look at that and think, yes, it's depth, but is it depth they really need? Uh, depth they need? No, because I don't... Because the goalkeeping position wasn't the thing that let them down last season. 
it's not like Aaron, you know, Aaron Ramsdale had a couple of clangers. They thought, oh, if ever he gets, you know, if he goes through a bad patch of form, then we need to have a top goalkeeper. Aaron Ramsdale was arguably one of the better goalkeepers in the league last year. So the fact they've gone that, maybe it is for, you know, for cup competitions. Maybe, I don't know. It just seems a bit weird they brought in, they brought in David Rea, especially if they brought him in on loan, because that just sort of complicates things even more, because they have the element of, right, we need to get the best out of you here and now, rather than if you buy someone, oh, we can wait a couple of years before you get to your, before we get, before you get to your peak, uh, get to your peak rather. So it's, it's a, it's a confusing move, but one that is somewhat understandable if you look, if you look in the sort of wider, wider context of maybe they want to be more challenging on more fronts this season. So they want to give Aaron Ramsdale a bit of a rest. I think the reason for the loan move, and I've got a Blackburn fan friend and he's spitting feathers that the reason they've done that is because they don't have to give Blackburn so much of their 20% sell-on fee so at the moment which should have been I don't know, let's say 30 million is the transfer that's 6 million but with it being positioned as a loan fee first and then 5 million that's what 1 million so he's not happy about that but Carl if you were Aaron Ramsdale would you be happy about the competition? Yeah I think as Matthew said the interesting bit is I think Ramsdale was probably one of the standout goalkeepers from last season so the fact that Arsenal have gone and brought in someone that you can't imagine wants to go there and play second fiddle all season to Aaron Ramsdale does make you think there is a straight out fight now between those two goalkeepers you know and if Raya gets his opportunity to come in and he shines will it see Ramsdale sitting on sitting on the bench most weeks. So it was an interesting move. I mean, if you're Aaron Ramsdale, most people will say players like to see other good players join the club, but you certainly don't when they're in your position. So I can't believe he's probably too happy, but he looks like the sort of character who will face the fire and will actually relish trying to keep his spot as number one. So it could work out for Arsenal. Well, if Arsenal want to compete for the big prizes, there's going to be plenty of football. You know, you look at the Champions League group stages, as Matthew sort of says, there's scope there for Ray to play, League Cup, FA Cup. So he'll, he'll get the minutes, and if he impresses there, who knows? He could be knocking on the league door. But let's look at the bottom end of the table, and more kind of a general overview to start with. Matthew, when you look at Nottingham Forest, and perhaps we can extend this to the likes of Everton, maybe Wolves as well, do you reckon they've looked at their summer outlay and thought, with the teams coming up, and let's say Sheffield United and Luton, more importantly... If it goes to how it should go, they're going to be struggling quite a bit. So, in essence, do these teams that are in, that are in the Premier League already, are they only gambling on beating Burnley in terms of staying up? I think they are. I think there is an element of we've got, you know, a lot of the teams are going to need to go through rebuilds. You know, how many players do Everton need to become a Sean Dyche team, for instance? You know, Wolves with um, Wolves and Gary O'Neill. How many players do they need to become a Gary O'Neill team as they sort of uh, uh, look to transition away and are looking to from their sort of Portuguese and you know, international um, outlet. So maybe there is a case of, right, as long as we just beat one more team, as you say, Luton, Sheffield, in most people's eyes and, you know, in the eyes of the Premier League teams as well, are probably going to go. If So long as we can just beat off the other, you know, beat off the other one, then we should be, then we should be, then we should be okay. We don't need to go through major changes now we'll just take you know take it slowly and then maybe next summer when we've got another 150 million or whatever the figure is uh, to play with then we can start looking further you know further towards the future rather than just this you know this one season at a time so with that in mind Cole do you reckon the gap between I don't know if you can call it the big six anymore let's say the biggest clubs you know the ones I mean do you reckon the gap has got even bigger between them 
and the rest of the league. When you look at the likes of the teams that have come up and Forest, Wolves, Everton, is it a quality Premier League these days? Yeah, it, that's an interesting question, isn't it? Because I, I think you are right, Dan. I think that the real top sides in that top five or six, I think they've moved a lot further away from, say, the teams that will be 10th and below. Um, and, and there kind of is sort of two leagues forming there. I still think the great thing about the Premier League is we've got a league where any team can beat any team on the day. You know, even a Luton can probably upset someone like Man City at Kenilworth Road, you know, on their day if the, if all the stars align. So I think that's probably what still keeps the Premier League as exciting as it is, is that there can be shocks. But I think those are going to start becoming more and more rare because, as you say, when you look at the squads, when you look at someone like Sheffield United's squad compared to, say, Newcastle, when you look at the sort of business Newcastle can do and the players that they can have in depth, then you start to think there is a massive gulf here between the talent of these clubs. And and one, that unfortunately, if you're not in there and you don't have the money to kind of be able to do what those top six clubs are doing, then each season you are getting further and further away. Does this mean, Matthew, that the kind of mindset of clubs is going to be all we have to do is be fourth worst? It kind of doesn't really reward success in the the ways that it did. It's now kind of regression and just keeping your head above water for a lot of clubs. I think I think for a lot of clubs that that is it. You know, if they unless it's going to take something miraculous like a Leicester, which happens once in a generation, or for them to be taken over by, you know, Middle Eastern, you know, Middle Eastern states, or maybe maybe even a Chinese outlaw or something like that. In the situation that they're in, they are not going to be able to, they are not going to be able to compete um, with the top, with the top six or seven. So beyond that, what really is the point of shelling out, you know, hundred millions for transfers when we may as well just, Keep ourselves, keep ourselves steady. Keep, you know, keep taking the money in. And as you say, so long as it, so long as it's fourth, uh, fourth worst, then their job, their job really is done, and they still get all the benefits of, you know, marketing from the Premier League and sponsorships and revenue and all that sort of stuff. They can just keep their business going. They can keep their business going and going and going. And if that, if that's how they want to do it, then by all means, go for it. If if they see challenging for trophies as you know insurmountable for them, which in reality it is then I don't think that's really a bad path to go down. Well, Everton's business model over the last few years has been fourth worst. They threw the kitchen sink and a whole lot more at Fulham on Saturday. Now, if you like your XG, it was the highest ever recorded without scoring. And Cole, I think that Saturday performance highlights Everton's struggle in front of goal this season. Yeah, and it's kind of been their struggle for a few seasons now, isn't it, Dan? You know, they had one season with Calvert-Lewin was really dangerous, wasn't he? And, you know, you kind of thought, well, out they can keep him fit. I think the biggest problem is you can't keep him fit and ultimately that dries up their goals and they don't have anyone that can really step in. And yeah, if you were crying out what sort of player do Everton need, they need a real consistent forward because, you know, you're certainly not going to be able to waste that sort of those sort of chances throughout the season because as they and it will come back and hurt you at some point because some teams will only need one chance. Um, so they'll be really disappointed with that defeat given those chances they created. But it does show you where their problem is going to be this season for me. Now, Matthew, of course, you'll have no concerns over Everton's goal-scoring woes because it helped you on Saturday. Not quite a smash and grab, but certainly snatching the points all the same. So you must be pleased with the overall performance. More importantly, the three points on the road. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, please with please with the performance. Bearing in mind that there is still, you know, we still got to get Jarapolina back, who was our you know defensive anchor last season. You know, Everton probably wouldn't have had five or six of those chances to start with 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 him in the team. So the fact we we're able to win without him was good. We're still eking Alexander Mitrovic into the team. You know, maybe a couple of those, a couple of the chances that we had, you know, would have been buried with him in up front rather than Raúl Jiménez. So. It, as I as I said to uh, as I said to someone um, in the pub that I was watching it with, we looked like a team that's had the preseason that we have had in terms of injuries and Mitrovic's situation and all that sort of stuff. Still a bit congested. So for us to come away with a win and know that we are going to get better with Paulinha and Mitrovic, and once you know some of the signings get more embedded in, then we're going to be fine. So uh, definitely, so result was very good and performance arguably even better. Stay with you, Matthew. Would I be right in saying Adama Traore has moved to Fulham, or have I just made that up? Nope, that's right. He uh, we uh, announced the announced the signing Saturday evening, so it was like a double whammy. We got the win, now we got the transfer in. What's your take on that? Good, good squad there because we lost uh, we lost a couple of wingers. We lost, you know from our team last season: Manuel Solomon, Niskins Cabano, Dan James, uh, all left the club. So we needed a little bit more strength and depth on the wing. And Adama Traore, whilst I'm not a huge fan of his and what he was able to do with Wolves. I thought he was very you know, I thought he was very overrated and got a lot of hype for someone who didn't really produce much. But my hope is that Marco Silva is a, is hopefully a better manager than Nuno Spirito Santo was. So hopefully he'll be able to get him uh working in working in a different way and maybe uh, a little bit more productive. So again for what we paid for him, which I think was I don't know. It was about about five or six or seven million pounds. It wasn't anything to think. For that sort of money, I think we did very well. And Carl, just to get your take, Adama Traore was constantly linked with Spurs. Do you feel like we've missed out at all? No, I think as Matthew said, I think ultimately he's one of those players who flatters to deceive, doesn't he? In the sense that, yes, on his day, he can, you know, he can cause teams massive headaches and, and he can potentially have the odd game where he'll tear it up and you think he looks like a world beater. But then ultimately he probably has about another six or seven games around that where he's just very average. Even if he's got that pace, doesn't put it to good use, doesn't deliver the right crosses. So I ultimately think, thankfully, we've managed to swerve one. But you never know, it could come back to bite us, as Matthew said, if if Silver can get him playing in a way that suits him, he could be a good addition for them. He could get the Carabao Cup winner, so, couldn't he, in a few weeks? So can I just clarify something, Daniel? Um, I got confused with Raul Jimenez. We actually got a dormitory on a free. Oh, yes, the you time, did. The timing of the window made me think that we bought him from Wolves for some reason. Um, but no, we got him on a free, so in my eyes, even better deal. Yeah, that's fine. Um, correction notified. We move on. So let's go to the other big wins, or say let's um, get some big wins on the board. Let's go to St James's Park first because Newcastle and Aston Villa on paper it certainly looked like it's going to be one of the tighter affairs of the weekend. You know, most people thought, well, not a lot in it. Maybe a draw. Good result for Villa. Not so much. Five-one. What a statement win for the Magpies, Cole. 
Yeah, great, great start to the season, wasn't it? And as you say, in a game that many wasn't sure which way that game would go, you know, Villa are really fancied to do well this season. So for Newcastle to put such a strong marker down the way they have, I think, you know, what a, what a way to start a season. There's nothing better than that. And obviously, you know, a player I really like, you know, Isak scoring too, because I think Newcastle have really got a player on their hands with him. You know, I think there'll be many a teams that will look and think, should we have stepped in and brought this guy? Um, but great win, great way to start the season. And again, just what they needed, because you want to keep the sort of morale and the good feeling that there is around the club. And that's certainly the way to do it. Well, Matthew, on the flip side, Villa's morale would have been hugely dented after that performance. I think it's fair to say that it all went south after the nasty injury to Tyrone Ming. So his absence when that happened was certainly a blow for the rest of the 90 minutes. How much of a blow is it going to be to Unai Emery over the next few weeks and months? I think I think I think it's a huge blow because whilst Tyrone Means gets you know a lot of stick from some, I I similar to Harry Maguire, I think he's a very good, I think he's a very good centre back, um, and as you know, has been captain in the past, he's got leadership. Uh, skills and capabilities as well, so I think it's going to be a big miss in that um, in that back line, especially with Aston Villa and their and their European campaign as well. They're going to have to address some strength and depth. Hopefully, you know it's maybe like a one or two, you know, one or two, three week uh, deal, so it's not too bad. But if it's any longer, then they probably are going to have to go into the transfer market to look for something else because I think, as I said, strength and depth is going to be huge for them this season. Yeah, I know Pau Torres played on Saturday, but he looked like he needs to acclimatise the Premier League. He's a very good defender, but it was certainly a, a baptism of fire, shall we say, for the, the Spaniards. So, as you say, Matthew, they might have to be delving in before the window shuts just to cover any Ming's prolonged absence. But let's go to the South Coast. Next up, Brighton, Luton. I guess a nightmare start. Well, it was a nightmare start, let's be honest, for the Hatters. Cole, if you had to sum up in one word, would you use naive? Yeah, I think, you know, it might take them a few weeks to kind of realise what they're up against and that you can't do certain things that you might have been able to get away with in the championship. And obviously, I think the third goal kind of yeah. really sums up <laughs> that sort of defending up, doesn't it? You know, I'm not really sure what the defender's trying to do, do their playing round with it like that. So... They'll need to learn quickly because if you're going to defend like that all season, their sort of goal difference is going to be quite horrifying come the end of the season. And, you know, that will send them down, let alone the points that they might not be able to pick up. But, you know, again, I think for, for Luton, they'll probably look at that game as a little bit of a free hit in a way, you know, away at Brighton, a really good side. No one gave them a chance. And again, their season probably won't be defined on a defeat away at Brighton. They'll come when it's, you know, their home form is going to be what possibly keeps them up if they stand a chance at all. Well, Matthew, if you were to make a conservative prediction, it's not set in stone, but... You know, people look at promoted teams and they always compare them to that Derby team that got, what, 11 points in 2008. It might not be that bad, but how tough is it going to be for Luton? Give us a figure, points-wise. I, d- I just think that that Derby side was was once a generation. I think, was the, was the record before that? Was, was it 19 from Watford? I think the I think the season before, it was quite a low number. I... I think that I think there's enough with the Kenilworth Road effect and everything like that. I definitely I definitely think they'll get more than Derby County. I I can definitely see them getting to twenty. I think there'll be a there'll be a few 
shock wins, even if it's, you know, the likes of Nottingham Forest, um, well, not a shock win, but there'll be some wins at home against the likes of Nottingham Forest, against Everton, against those sides that are in and around them with the Kenilworth atmosphere. In fact, I think they'll get enough wins, but you know, enough wins to surpass Derby, but I don't think it'll be enough to stay in the league. So I'll go with I'll go with 20. OK, I'll take that. Carl, in terms of Evan Ferguson, come off the bench, got a late goal in the big Brighton win. Do you reckon this is going to be... Well, I think the breakout season might have happened last time, but is he going to go on to even better things this time around? What do you reckon of the Irish international? He looks a really good player, doesn't he? And and I, actually, you know, I think it's probably good that he's staying with Brighton for another season where he can develop there under Dizebri. I think you've got a great manager to kind of develop under. But I certainly wouldn't be surprised, given his talent, if we're seeing him go for a big transfer because Brighton just do what they do, don't they? And they find these gems. And I think he's another one. But, you know, he, this may be, if he has another season like last season, I can't see him being with Brighton come the start of next season. Well, the word has it that they see Ferguson as the next person to break the British transfer record. Brighton are confident they could get 125 million and above if he is as good as he is. So, in terms of Brighton's business model, Matthew, they lost Caicedo. There was no panic in front of the scenes, behind the scenes. It just seems that the business model is the business model. They know they're going to lose these names eventually. Things just keep rolling on. They do, and I think that was sort of the... Um, whilst everyone talks about the players that they've lost, I think that was the big sort of takeaway for me was watching the was watching the highlights and seeing that they were able to bring someone like someone like Ferguson off the bench. You know, I always had him I always had him down as a you know as a starter, especially after the after the good season they had last year. But to bring the likes of Gilmore and Ferguson off the bench, that just shows that they've got a pretty good squad, squad as a whole. So whilst everyone might be concerned about where they go, they they've got some and you know think oh they're just one you know, people might think they're one side, you know, uh, player, big name player, being sold away from, you know, from disaster because this can't go on forever. I think that shows that if they they have the strength and depth, they can afford to get away with, you know, selling one, maybe two of these players in the future, and you know, and be okay. Well, especially if you're getting hundred million plus per player, that goes in the kitty. You just regenerate, don't you? And their recruitment is fantastic. I mean, I must admit, half these names when you first hear of them, you think who? Never heard of him. And then within months, the household names and Brighton are better for it. But let's go to the other promoted side, Sheffield United. They lost at home to Crystal Palace. Cole, an important win for Roy Hodgson's men as they get used to life without Wilf Sahar. Yeah, I, I said last week, I, I don't think they'll suffer too much without Sahar this season because I think they've got some good young talent there, Palace. But a good win because, you know, away from home, one of those newly promoted sides, you know, you can come unstuck there. I don't think this season with Sheffield United, though, that's going to be the case for a lot of teams because we know their troubles. You know, the manager has even come out and said, listen, we we, we don't have the players here that are going to be able to help us. And they're in a little bit of a crisis at the moment down there at Bramall Lane. So I think most weeks they're going to find themselves on the wrong end of a result. Um, but Palace, you know, you've still got to go and do it. So it was a good start for them and Roy. And, you know, as we've seen, you don't mess with someone like Roy Hodgson. No, you don't. You absolutely don't. And finally, Matthew, born for West Ham, played out a stalemate at the Vitality. Not a bad point for either side at the start of the season. Do you reckon both clubs will be happy with that? Yeah, happy with the point, especially with West Ham. I'm not going to say in the, the crisis that they are in, but you've got the rumblings behind the scenes and losing someone like Declan Rice. That potentially could have been a, a bit of a banana skin for them on the you know on the opening day of the season against a 
not great Bournemouth side. So they'll be happy and you know Bournemouth will probably take some you know they they were able to hold the conference league winners, obviously not the same conference league winners without Declan Rice, but still a good West Ham side. So yeah, I think point of peace, everyone will be happy. Lovely stuff. We've hit full time. There's no edicts of stupid lengths of injury time on this show. No 14 minutes plus. We're done. So I just need to do the admin before we wrap up. And that's thanking my two pod squad members. Matthew, thanks for your time this afternoon. I hope you enjoyed that one. Yep, always a pleasure. And Cole, thanks for wearing the captain's armband. I hope you'll join me next time. Yeah, will do, Dan. Enjoyed that one and looking forward to next week. Absolutely. Right, cheers, guys. And also to the listeners out there. And with that said, it just leads me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. This is The Real Football Cast. And until next time, goodbye. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Podcast Network.